hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Michael, what are we going to discuss today? <laughs> today we are going to discuss The Haunted Palace from 1963, directed by Roger Corman, based on an H.P. Lovecraft book called The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. It's named after a poem by Edgar Allan Poe. And what are we going to be drinking? Since it's kind of a collaboration <laughs> between Poe and Lovecraft, very, very loosely, we went with uh, AK Alive. It's a collaboration, Alaskan Wild Ale, between Mickler Brewing and Anchorage Brewing. What do you think? It's a wild wild so, ale, so it's the the Brett the Britannomyces. Yeah, is the, what you're getting that funky earthiness. The funkiness I could do without. This is not funky. This has a really I, I can't put my finger down it, but it has a citrus smell. When I drink it, it doesn't have that overwhelming funkiness to it. Not a lot of that blue cheese. It's uh, it's quite dry. I picked this up at a cheese shop in Santa Monica, Andrew's Cheese Shop, fantastic place. This is batch number two from July 2016. So it has been sitting and evolving for four years now. It's immensely There's drinkable. A, as, it, as it got a little warmer, it does, the funk does pick up a bit. I'm a fan of this. Yeah. I, I, like, I love these wild ales. I like the unusual. A friend of mine, a wine specialist one time, he said, these are beer nerd beers. And, <laughs> and I thought a wine guy would be way into it. But he was kind of like, I don't know. Because I've had one before that was so funky, and I can't remember what it was, but my wife had ordered it for me, and I took a taste of it, and I'm like, I am not going to be able to drink this. I wish I knew what it was, because I, 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 I have not found one that is like too funky or weird. It can smell like a barnyard. That's the term. It ba- it's like barnyardy. Horse blanket. You can get. This is drinkable. This is good. It's different. I mean, it's, it is. Yeah, this is not something that if. I mean, everybody should explore their taste palette with beers, and this is something that you should give it a try, but it, it is different. And is that a, a hand crashing through an igloo? Yes, it's the classic Mickler. Um, Keith Shore does a lot of Mickler's labels. It's a cool little beer. If you can find it, I would totally recommend picking this up. It's in a large 750 bottle. Yeah, it's perfect for this collaboration between Poe and Lovecraft and, and Roger, Roger Corman. Corman. Michael, you chose this. I did. Why did you choose this? <laughs> you know, I was just kind of doing that old search that we do, and I came across oh, Lovecraft. And I, we both are Lovecraft fans. Anytime we can find an, an adaptation. And I saw this, and it was Roger Corman, Charles Dexter Ward. I enjoy the story a lot. So I thought I'd give it a go. It's early 60s. It was going to be a little kind of campy. Why is it a B-movie? <laughs> it's Roger Corman. <laughs> Now we can get into the nuts and bolts of it. <laughs> well, before we dive in, I wanted to talk about Roger Corman's Poe cycle. Because this is a Lovecraft-inspired, based-on story, but with an Edgar Allan Poe title. AIP was really successful with that Poe series. They started off with The House of Usher in 1960, written by Richard Matheson, a big horror writer. Huge. And then ended in 65 with The Tomb of Lygia. And in that time, they did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight total movies. This was one of them. They all starred, except for one, Vincent Price. You put Vincent Price in the movie, it just ups the ante of that movie just a bit. He's just, I I love him. He makes the movie better. He's a great actor. He's fantastic. (laughs) He he really is. And and, and this is no exception. And the only one that didn't star him was Ray Milan. He did Premature Burial. And there's, you can look it up online. Roger Corman discussed basically describes there was a financial issue with AIP at the time and he did this movie on his own and Vincent Price was actually contracted AIP. So it's the only post cycle that did not star Vincent Price. Now, Michael, you went back and reread the case of Charles Dexter Ward before we did this episode. How was this different than the actual story? (laughs) I don't even know necessarily why they chose to use the story because the only things that really transferred from the story to the movie were the names 
the idea of Joseph Kerwin coming back, and they use the Necronomicon, Cthulhu, and Yogg-Sothoth, but only mentioning it in passing. Otherwise, they followed it not one bit. Even the year between where it starts and where we come in, wildly different. It's loose. I mean loosely, and I mean <laughs> loosely based. We got to just get into it. We start back in 1765, Arkham, Massachusetts. Case Charles Dexter Ward actually takes place in Providence, Rhode Island in the 1920s. So, and did we mention that they misspelled Edgar Allan Poe? Oh, Pope? that's true. In the actual <laughs> credits, they misspell Allen. In 1765, yes. in a setting where the cinematography is using really dark blue purple like hues there is a constant thunderstorm in arc i kept thinking why would people live here? i mean i'm okay with like rain and fog you're basically living in a place that's 100 percent fog all the time and right before this immense palace that kerwin lives in there is a cemetery you're drawing a cemetery for a scary Halloween movie, you're going to have gnarled trees, Absolutely. fog, yeah. and tombstones that are very large but tilted. And that's exactly what this is. We have a pub where there's sort of an angry looking fellow <laughs> standing in the window. And he's just staring out at the night. And there's a reason I'm pointing this out. The pub doesn't have a name. There's yeah. no sign or anything out front. So this guy's just staring angrily out the window. And a buddy comes over. And he's like, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, ah, oh, the devil's about his business. You know, it's like <laughs> an ornery dude. But there is a reason for it. They have a idea that Kerwin is somehow attracting young single women at night in a spell to come to this palace. And this character, Ezra Whedon, he's upset because... His fiance, we'll later learn, was one of these women who was, you know, enthralled into Kerwin's spell. His, her name was Hester. So he is upset. And he's a rabble-wilder, played by Leo Gordon, has this deep voice. He's going to get people behind him, a mob behind yeah. him. Whedon goes, look. And sure enough, a young lady walking slowly through the fog. She's heading off, I assume, I guess we find out, the old Kerwin place. Which is closer than it looks. I don't know. So so he's like, yeah, check it out. Let's go follow him. And they go up. And first of all, I have to say, we know this is a Revolutionary War time period. Because the <laughs> sets don't change too much. But the outfits do. And they're wearing those tricorn Revolutionary War hats. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. triangle shaped yeah. hats. You're yeah. like, oh, Revolutionary you got the War. the hanging out inside. <laughs> just staring out the window. I'm like, I'm like, I want to bring those back. The tricorn hat. Just wear it. <laughs> They follow her. Kerwin's powers are interesting because he can summon this woman out to his place. That seems pretty powerful to me. Let's go back and get the angry mob that, <laughs> that we can stir up any old time. Yeah. Like this town is really just an angry mob waiting to happen. Yeah. That's, that's sort of what they, they, It's a powder keg. They're waiting for something. Oh, you know, yeah. It's Revolutionary War time period. You know, it couldn't have been the British. Yeah. So, but some, instead, it's a warlock. Some, town, some towns, it might be a, a softball game. Yeah. In Arkham, it's an angry mob. Kerwin is taking this young woman down into the bowels. Secret door. <laughs> which it, which is close to two feet thick stone. They go through that. They go down, 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 down. There's a door that opens with a winch. And then down wooden staircase. That's a good 60 feet. There, I would guess they got to be at least 200 feet below this gigantic palace. And that wooden staircase, they it's, really utilize it. <laughs> it's a character unto itself. It, it really is. It is important to emphasize <laughs> how far down they go yeah. below the surface of the house. So you have a gigantic palace, mansion, made of stone, sitting on the ground, and then about 200 feet below that, they've got this altar with something. This young woman is subjected to a strange ritual with this pit creature. And I have to point out two things at the point. One, Kerwin, the outfit that he's wearing is the outfit that's in the painting. So he caught on like he's wearing the outfit that's in the eventual painting that he's going to be in. <laughs> so, do you, so do you think the painting was done recently? Or he's a one outfit guy. He's a warlock most of the time. He just needs one outfit. <laughs> or is he like Einstein? Somebody's got, yeah. He's just got a closet full of the same I, I can't focus on my outfits. It takes away so I'm going to have one outfit every single time. I just have to point out the love of his life, Hester. 
she has some uh, ample cleavage going on. She's gorgeous. And this is a point where we've talked about it. I don't understand his plan. He is trying to mate young maidens from the village with elder gods the beast or older in the gods. Pit. But why? You know, that's step one. The conclusion is complete control over the world, <laughs> complete power. Absolute power. Absolute power. That is the end game. But I'm not sure how you get from step one to that ending step. But suffice to say, who shows up at his door? The angry mob. They knock at his door. The angry mob. They're like, ah, they're all coming up. They're all angry. When the lady, Miss Fitch, when she sees what's in the pit, she screams. The mob hears her. They're outside. (laughs) And they're all yelling, which makes it even harder to hear something. They start knocking on the door. They're not smashing through the door or anything. They're like, Joseph Kerwin, you come up here. And he's there. Suddenly he's there. He opens the door and he's like, what do you want? (laughs) And they're like, the Miss Pitch is up here. You brought her up. And he goes, well, of course, she visits us all the time. (laughs) And there she is. And there's Hester with her ample bosom. And Miss Pitch comes around and she's like clearly in a trance. Clearly he knew the village did not like him. And when a mob comes knocking at your door, there's no peephole like on this palace. You just throw open the door and like, hello? How did you hear him in the first place? And how did you get up so quickly? Yes, exactly. It's like we saw how you got down there. There's no way you heard them. And you know what? Wouldn't you be better off just staying down there with the monster? Yeah. And be like, if they can make it down here... Good on them. You know, they're, exactly. they, they kind of earn that one. But you go up, open the door. And also, he's a warlock. He's got these powers. But you know what? He's like, ah, my powers of persuasion aren't very good. Because they're like, ha-ha. She didn't say her name quickly enough for us. So Therefore, we're going to burn you at the stake <laughs> on a tree. And he just is like, oh, it's I like, did not think this through. Like, Step one, yeah. I need to go back and work my plan. Yes, I, it should have had a couple more steps to uh, deal with this. I, so they drag him out. We're going to tie you to the burning tree. There's a burning tree out front. So we burn warlocks. Yep. We're just going to tie you to it. And that's when he lays it down. And he sort of insults them. And, and then he says, uh, do what you want, but... You're cursed. Your children are cursed. Your children's children are cursed. That's it. Interestingly to me, they leave the house alone. Which I think angry mob, I'm never in favor of the angry mob, but the angry mob should just sort of lay waste. They burn him. If they they think his house is evil or his palace is evil. They walk away. They walk away from the house. Let's Let's search this. At least let's burn it. (laughs) So that closes out that intense opening. And now we jump. Not 100 years, 110 years to... 1875. At this point, we get a line from the Haunted Palace by Poe. AIP wanted to have the Poe name in there, so they renamed... It was successful for them. Yes. So they they named the movie after a Poe poem and then used this. So here's our first little, like, bookend. And I just want to point out that a palace is an (laughs) official residence of a head of state, a dignitary nobility, and it's unfortified... As opposed to a castle, which you can describe as a, as a palace that's fortified. Just to get some definitions because... <laughs> I think they refer to it as a house at times. Yeah. And a mansion. <laughs> and the, the different shots, sometimes it does look like a palace. Sometimes, and then sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, that's a castle. <laughs> yes, it's a castle on a bluff. It's yeah. huge. And the fog has not dissipated Still fog. in 110, 110 years. 110 years later <laughs> and not one darn thing has changed. It's never daytime. It's always night or evening, and a carriage is rolling in town. And who is in that carriage? Charles Dexter Ward and his wife. Who's the great-great-grandson of Joseph Kerwin. They inherited this palace. And Charles is quite, you know, jovial. Joseph Kerwin was extremely, like, spooky and intimidating. and ah. But they, they roll in, and Mr. Carmody, who's the driver of the carriage, is like, Yeah, you, you said you aren't staying long, right? And Charles Ward and his wife were like, we weren't planning on it. And he's like, well, this place is cursed. Whoa, that's, you know, you could have told me that before we we took off. We embarked. (laughs) Why did you wait until we got here? But, you know, Ward and Anne, his wife, were kind of like, we do not believe in the supernatural. Ward comes up with these one-liners where he's a funny guy. He says, well, it looks cursed. I'll give it that. (laughs) <laughs> he does have a couple of nice liners. If someone says, hey, you've inherited this castle after all these years. From who? From who? We don't know. And then you're like, 
Let's jump in a carriage, get out to this place. No, no investigation whatsoever. I was like, we're just going to find this. I feel that if we just get a carriage ride to the city, somehow we'll be able to find out where this palace is that's been given to me. Excellent, excellent point. For 110 years, whose hands has it yeah. been in that they're now passing it on to you? Yeah. So, Michael, they're wandering around the city, and then they come to a tavern that we've seen before, but it's named now. The same tavern as earlier, but it's called now The Burning Man. And Anne, his wife, she goes, oh, The Burning Man. Isn't it quaint? Yeah. No, no, actually it isn't. The, the Burning Man is not really a quaint name for a pub. This is also the first sign that, whoa, Charles Dexter Ward, because when he sees it, he sort of reacts. He flinches looking up at the sign. And then when they go in, I, I kept the first time I saw this, I all I could think was an American werewolf in London, the opening of that when the two Americans backpackers go into the pub and everybody just stops and looks. Because they walk into this pub, the Burning Man. If there was a jukebox, an old jukebox, it would be like the needle across the record sound. Everybody just stops what they're doing, turns and looks at these two strangers walking in. They got some questions. They're trying to figure out where their real estate is. And once again, this shows like they're really ill-prepared because if you're getting a real estate hand to you, you'd have a plat map. You've had some, even back then, you'd have something. We find out he has a lawyer and the lawyer doesn't even like, I'm going to write the directions out when you get into Arkham. It's not a huge place. No, and granted, it's not London. No one wants to be helpful because the legacy of Kerwin still haunts. Like, I mean, it's 110 years. Like, people let it go. Yeah, well, but also, why have you let that place stay up there? Exactly. Why, you know, like, nobody thought to be like, let's just go up there and burn the place yeah. down. I mean, and then the descendant of Ezra Whedon comes over and he's, he's got, he's, he's a little drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what are you looking for that place for? And he gets kind of aggressive. He's, yeah. he's that guy at the bar you just, you go, oh boy, I just hope he doesn't talk to me. Yeah. He's the one who might punch you when yeah. you're not looking. And, and he even goes, he's like, I know where it is, but I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. I'm like, oh great, we're on the playground. Well, I like that Ward says, that's what I like about you New England Englanders. <laughs> you're so... Friendly. <laughs> so eventually, Dr. Willett and all these actors are playing these characters now. They are the same actors that had played their ancestors. So Edgar Saves Whedon, you money. Exactly. They're <laughs> like, we're not going to change this up. Everybody's going to look like each other. Yeah, you're playing two roles, but you're getting one check. <laughs> so Dr. Willett says, listen, I'm going to help you. I'm a man of reason. Of course, I'm the town doctor. And I believe in the case of Charles Dexter Ward, the actual story, he is actually the main character, isn't he? He's the one who drives the story. Yeah. He's Dr. Willett. And here he kind of, he's a sideline character, but he he's like, follow me. And they walk outside. He's like, uh, it's right there. Like, if you pulled this town, yeah. you would not miss this. It's a gigantic structure on a bluff. I mean, it looks like that's almost a day's ride away on a horse. I mean, it looks really far away. Ward's just set off on foot in the fog. I'm watching it and I go, maybe find a place and inn and stay the night. But they're like, no, we're just going to go. Which gives us our first inkling besides the weirdness that's been around. Whoa, something's wrong in Arkham. Because they come upon a woman walking a little girl and the little girl's got no eyes. She has no eyes. There's an abnormality. Not the best special effects, but they did what they could. It looks like you're born with like nothing there not sockets or anything. And what's really awesome is that the woman walking the little girl walks her right into a, a light post. <laughs> yeah. it's like the little girl bumps in. That's really terrible. If like you were her big brother, that's the kind of thing big brothers do. That's not what your mom does. And I would actually be afraid to leave that place and go walking in the dark. You have enough warnings where people don't want you there. It's almost like this quintessential, like the city folk have invaded this small country town and the country folk don't like their city ways <laughs> but they're gonna make their stand they're gonna take what's theirs from this poor city they arrive at the palace and immediately there's something that attracts charles dexter ward there's a portrait of joseph Kerwin, and he goes up and does a great vincent price look and then <laughs> he goes let's go check out the kitchen it's right over there how does he know where the kitchen is? Anne doesn't say anything at that point. However, they go into the kitchen and we get 
What did you call it? <laughs> so I tracked this. This movie has two types of jump scares. And one is Anne's looking around the kitchen and she opens up, I guess, a cupboard drawer that's been latched for, you know, you're assuming 110 years because no one's touched this touched this kitchen. There's cobwebs everywhere. Yeah. And it's a boa constrictor. And you're thinking, like, what? Why? Because <laughs> it's just there for the scare. It's That is the only reason. It has nothing to do with the story. There's no sense why a boa constrictor would be there in this part of New England. It's not an indigenous species. If it's been locked for 110 years, why isn't it dead? <laughs> what I find more interesting, how decrepit and unkempt the kitchen looks, we end up knowing someone's been living there. They're investigating. Yes, and, and they go then, out and Anne says, hey, let's check that out. And Charles goes, ah, there's nothing over there. And she goes, whoa, how did you know? And it does bother Charles in a bit. He's perplexed that he understands more of the layout of this palace than he's, he should. He's troubled. And so they go upstairs to the bedroom and he's going to provide some more light to the bedroom. And here's our next source of jump scares. In the movie. Besides the animal jump scares, which are there's three... There's going to be a boa constrictor, a tarantula, and a rat. There's Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's opening up the drapes so the camera focuses on him. And all of a sudden, you turn around and it's like, whoa! Because yeah. all of a sudden, Lon Chaney Jr. is right there. And he's like, hello! And, and Jason, he's not just there. He's like inches from Ant. Yeah. Like closer, I would be uncomfortable. His makeup makes him look like he's a zombie or there's something off. He's at, he's at the end of his career and he's a little puffy looking. We find out he was Kerwin's. He's another warlock that yes. was able to come back. So you're assuming that he was resurrected as well. I think he was resurrected. There was something because the makeup they give him makes him look like he could be sort of a living dead yes. or something. Yep. But yeah, he's standing there. He's in the dark, like doop, doop, doop. <laughs> grooving around in the dark gets way too close to his wife and Charles Dexter Ward is kind of like oh who are you I, we've talked about this and I'm like I'm grabbing whatever is at hand and just going at this individual but he's just like I'm Simon I'm here I'm the caretaker of the house I've been upkeeping it which is clearly not true you're upkeeping the bar yeah that sounds like because I was just in the kitchen man yeah. And the kitchen looks like hell. What, how and there's are you, a boa constrictor how, down how there. How are you eating? What, what are you eating, Simon? You know? And they're like, so, so you've been doing this in the dark? And he's like, you know, do you have the light? He's just like, one becomes accustomed to the darkness here. And what I love is Simon goes, you know, I'll get your luggage. And Anne goes, no, no, we're not going to stay here. Which I, I'd go, yeah, we're not yeah. staying here. But what I love is Simon just goes, but where would you spend the night? Yeah, anywhere but here. Yeah, the village, you know, the bar. Seriously, I'll go sleep under a tree. (laughs) This place is creepy on its own. Now I know you're lurking around. And there's boa constrictors and God knows what. And then it transitions. And, Michael, we're at Edgar Whedon's house. And we realize this curse that Kerwin had put on the population might be more powerful than we think. First of all, he appears to me like he walks around with raw meat in his pocket. He's at home. And <laughs> I like, always keep raw meat in my pocket, <laughs> just in case. You never know. You never know. And like, There's a short flight of stairs. There's a terrible growling sound. And he goes up and he's like, what's going on with you? And he opens it and it's, it's like great. And there's a terrible like beast hand. That's coming out and is there growling, horrible growling. He's like, are you hungry? And that's when he pulls meat out of his pocket and gives it to him. And the hand grabs his hand. So he takes a candle and burns this hand. So then he walks down the stairs and his wife is there and she, and she goes, oh, what's wrong with him tonight? He's basically because it's not a person, it's an it. Yes. Stop <laughs> Woman. Yeah. It's like, Woman. And, and I'm like, okay, this is your son. <laughs> And you're talking to his mom. This might be like a horrible beast type deal, but that's his mom. And she also, she carried this around in her womb for nine months and you're being completely insensitive. I found that so like off-putting. It was. (laughs) But... There's a point like, man, I feel a little bad for him. Like, this is what happened when the town gets cursed? I mean... You should leave. Okay. You should start somewhere else. This is going to sound terrible, but if you gave birth to a monster like that, that's what sacks and rocks are for. It's like, 
just take take to a lake, toss it in, you know? It's like, I mean, are you gonna keep a monster in your in your attic? Like where you have to you're That's like the beginning of every horror story, you know. Like, you know what the rest of my life is? It's not like, oh, they eighteen and they're out of the house, but I still worry about them. It's like, no, eighteen, I still carry raw meat in a pocket in case it's hungry and have to chuck it through the bottom of the door and it's gonna try to attack me. I'm I'm like Ezra, you know, kinda earned some sort of curse, yeah. but it's like at the same time, Edgar is pretty much a rabble rouser. He is. He is he's he, a brute. I kept going back and forth because yeah. he inherited this Whedon rabble rousing destructive gene. I think part of the movie is how bloodlines can transcend generations, and it's really hard to break because this movie is cyclical. You have Charles Ward and Anne coming into this community, and then they're playing the same role that his ancestors played, and everybody in the village is playing the same role. The only person who's trying to break it is Dr. Willett. No, you're you're right. And I would say that as far as the village people, um, not the band, but these people (laughs) that live in the village, they sort of improve upon what their ancestors did because they don't stop (laughs) just taking you to the burning tree. This this is where Joseph Kerwin starts Charles Ward, this battle for possession of this physical body because we get Charles Ward standing in front of the portrait, smoking a cigar and he's looking and this is some fantastic acting. There's no, there's no words. It's voiceless acting and Ward's looking at the portrait. There's a struggle in his face. And then we see Vincent Price just does this look, a little change with his eyes, sets his face differently, and boom. We know Joseph Kerwin is in the house. And that's the excellent job that Vincent Price does in this role where it's nothing but his facial expressions that demonstrate the change in his character. And so why I, he's, he's such a good actor. I really enjoy seeing him in this movie. And I imagine <laughs> as long as we keep going... There'll it, be more. It, it wouldn't shut <laughs> out. There will be more. And then we notice also who's in the background watching this happen. Cre- watching, side, He's just a creeper. He's just always like there being creepy. No doubt Roger Corman had Lon Chaney Jr. in this movie strictly because he was associated with the Universal Horror movies. You know, put Lon Chaney Jr.'s name up there. We're going to get some ticket sales. He was still a name, even yeah. though he wasn't big at the time. So, like, Anne is like, we need to leave. I think they're going to boogie. And you see Kerwin has gotten his finger slowly into the soul of the body. He's like, you know, we're going to stay here now for two to three weeks to just to restore the house. <laughs> fix it up. Yeah. Fix it up. Get a better yeah. price. They're, they're house flippers now. <laughs> we go around flipping man houses. Well, well and what, what I love is fix it up. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what kind of skills he has. Yeah. I know Simon isn't going to be a huge help. No. He's just sort of out of shape and old. And you know what? You're not going to get a lot of help in Arkham. So he's like, we'll stay around and fix the place up. And I think get, Ward's kind of a dandy. Like, I don't think he has any skills whatsoever. Like, Kerwin might. Well, Kerwin seems to be. Well, if he did build that staircase, yeah. like, he's, he's, got, he's got some carpentry skills. Yeah. Anne is not really hip to the staying thing. And it's the it, first time that Ward slash Kerwin says, well, you can leave on your own. That's true. This is something that kind of keeps going back and forth. She has an out right there. Yes, Her yes. character has an out. But she doesn't because she does love him. Yeah, they're going to take a nighttime stroll. Is, is, it, <laughs> is it still foggy? It is foggy like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. They are walking in the streets of Arkham and all of a sudden all of the children and people who are cursed. I don't know if they're attracted to Kerwin or that their parents are like, listen, we got to scare these people out of here. So just walk towards them and so you see all of the implications of this curse in the population everybody has some sort of deformity and they're walking towards Anne and Charles I think it's in the five middle. people yes and I'm thinking it's off-putting but maybe you should run well <laughs> because, see, like, there, or do something you're just standing there and it's one of these things where they're taking a step towards you and all set flashes to, to Charles and Anne they're like ah and they're taking another step to where you're like ah I feel like this is just the makeup person was like, you got to give me something. Just about everybody, one of the things they have is like, no eye. They come out, slowly approach, and then a a bell toll. And that seems to call them off. And we see that Whedon and Smith are watching them. They sick them on them, which is an awful thing to do. Like, you're going to use people who who have deformities. You're like, listen, we need to get these two city folk out of this town. So that that was like, again, one of those like little moments of like, it's scary. Not really sure what it proves, except no. to say there are more deformed people in this town. Yeah, it's. I mean, basically, it's one of the 
the horrific moments of this movie. It had to be a horror movie because if you cut that scene out, the movie would still flow just as is. It's just a show like um, we're going to show off our special effects and there's scary monsters here. Yes, and although I, w- I will say because we immediately go to dinner at the wards and Dr. Willett is explaining this is what's going on in this yeah. town. And he starts explaining the history of Kerwin. And he also mentions them about the black magic book, the Necronomicon, believed to have been in Kerwin's possession, in which Kerwin used to summon the Elder Gods, Cthulhu and yogg Sothoth. And I gotta ask you, Michael, how historic is that? <laughs> it is. Th- this is the first time that Lovecraft's Necronomicon, Cthulhu, yogg Sothoth are mentioned in a film. So it is kind of historic. Yeah. Although I like that Dr. Willett just seems to be like, man, yeah, you know, this is what they say. Yeah. <laughs> bring up the Elder Gods, they want absolute power. Yeah. Which, Some people say. Which he doesn't, you know. And and, and he was mating the these, these beings with humans, and that's where the townsfolk think the deformities come from. Yeah. And they're scared of you, Charles Dexter Ward. You know, look at that portrait. You look just like him. Come on. Yeah. Really? You see it. They hate you because of this. <laughs> There's another movie that was made as an adaption of the case of Charles Dexter Ward. And I, it was The Resurrected by... Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, and it starred Chris Sarandon, I believe. And I believe it's a truer... It stays oh, true accurate. to yeah. the story everything yeah. like that. They probably had a little more money and better effects. We digress. Oh, yeah. We, the, the, let's yeah, let's fill a, our glasses up because there, there was a lot of drinking in the, that tavern, The <laughs> yes. Bernie Man... So are we done? Oh my gosh, we drank all this, right? It was good. Dr. Willett, I don't know why this stuck with me. He doesn't have an after-dinner drink, but he does have a smoke. He tells them in a friendly way, you guys need to leave town. Not in a threatening, like, we. I want you to go. But he's like, these people don't want you here. This is a powder keg. I do have to say, Dr. Willett is a responsible man. He's taking care of the town and stuff. But if you think everybody around you is capable of that behavior... I think I would move, take my practice. Next village over, like, oh, right over the hill, it's not as foggy. And the people aren't looking to, like, murder newcomers. <laughs> and not a bunch of people are cursed. Exactly. Yeah. I was I like, mean, can you do something with my web fingers? Oh, how fun <laughs> How fun would that be if, he's, if, if, like, Whedon's going, hey, the monster in the attic is ready for his annual physical. And Dr. Willett's like, yeah, dude, no. I mean, that thing tried to bite me and last time it's like horrible like why didn't you i told you when it was born put it in a bag with some rocks toss it in the lake (laughs) find a carnival i mean (laughs) sell it do something man after that fantastic dinner with dr willett where we have now learned the complete story and plot around kerwin he is awoken and he goes out onto his veranda and he hears the voices of the mob so once again we're seeing that Kerwin's taking more and more over him and then Lon Chaney jump scare number two (laughs) Simon is right there (laughs) he's out by the burning tree right he's just minding his own business he's hearing the voice and and all of a sudden he's like Like Simon's like bam he's right there and he's standing there like holding a coat it's like ah dude seriously you have to give me a heart attack really have no skills and and he's like oh i thought you might be cold and he's like didn't you hear the voice he's like no he goes but i suggest you go talk to kerwin dun 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 again that's when i pick up a rock and i bash simon and i grab ann and i'm like hey we live like three blocks from town apparently so now kerwin possesses the body he is fully in charge now. Simon knows now that it's Kerwin. He's like, you've been gone for 110 years. And it's odd that Kerwin realizes it, it is his great-great-grandson. He's like, excellent. <laughs> Makes a lot of he's, sense. He's like, feels like it. <laughs> like, got the Kerwin blood. <laughs> and then another warlock appears. I forget his name. Jabez. Jabez. It's like a party. Like these three. Un- the gang's three- back together, dude. Yeah, the, 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 the warlocks are back together. Seriously, the police are touring again. <laughs> We're all happy. And what's great is that Jabez is like, doodly doo, guess what I got? The Necronomicon. Clearly, Kerwin was the leader of this boy band because the first thing he wants to do, it's not to continue on their plot, which is mate maidens with Yog Sothoth. It is, listen, I want to um, raise my old girlfriend, Hester. 
Like yeah. let's let's see if we can raise her. You guys remember her, right? Yeah, the yeah. one with the bosom. Come on, yeah. everybody was looking at it. Everybody, don't every, deny. Exactly. <laughs> if, if you do, you're a liar. Every one of you. <laughs> let's not lie about it. Yeah. So it jumps to a grave robbing scene where they're gonna dig her up. Jason, you make a good point there because it's like there is this plot. They had this thing. They had this scheme, absolute power, and all this. When Kerwin gets back, he gets sidetracked. Sort of takes him away from his ultimate goal. Simon is sort of like, dude. beside himself. We had this yeah. plan. We Eight had... girls with Yogg-Sothoth. Yeah. Absolute power. Now we're digging up graves? Yeah. Kerwin is a petty man. He wants to take revenge. They should have written a business plan, and Simon should have pulled out the folder from the board. Like, let's go back. Phase one. Where are we on this? I don't think Kerwin <laughs> would have cared. And then meanwhile, back at the pub, Whedon's berating Willett for making because he's like they didn't leave yet Willett's going I don't know why they're here I didn't tell them to stay and and this is quite the drinking movie because we constantly go every every meal people are drinking we're always back at that tavern people are drinking we're drinking AK Alive yeah AK the abbreviation for Alaska it's a wild ale it's kind of a wild movie yeah it's all over the place it, it, it really is <laughs> it, it's, it's I mean Vincent Price is always wild but yeah, as as it warmed, there was I got slightly more of that kind of dirty funkiness. Yeah, but it's to me it's it, there it was, is there, I almost did get some cheese. It's a super interesting beer. It is. That's what I love. Please. On the beer label, you could think like that's Yogg-Sothoth breaking through. It, <laughs> Igloo. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Or that could be one of the village persons destroying something. Or it could be Whedon's mutant son i'm i'm really i'm really digging this it's going well with this discussion oh yeah no listen like we're, we've drank this whole bottle and it's gone it's gone and we're at the tavern which makes sense we finished it at the tavern i'm, I'm almost ready to do some rabble rousing yeah <laughs> like, and then we get back to Anne wandering around the palace at night and it's animal jump scare number one rats animal jump scare number two tarantula and i don't think tarantulas are native to new england and then she has somehow worked her way into those hidden catacombs. She sees a figure at the end of the hallway. And it is an ominous picture. And it's jump scare, you know, for it's, Lon Tinney Jr. It, <laughs> it's, it's Simon. Cre- if it's someone creeping, yeah. it can only be Simon. Of course, back then, when you are afraid, you have the vapors as a woman and you pass out. <laughs> yes. I, 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 you mentioned the vapors. So, But I do have a question. A little before that, they're in the pub. And Smith, Elisha Cook Jr., comes up and says, oh, you know, this guy that you're talking about, this Kerwin, he did this. He holds his hands up yeah. and they're webbed. Why do you think some people are mutants and some people aren't? There's no explanation. And it honestly reminded me of that scene from Holy Grail where he's like, she turned me into a newt. Yes, <laughs> like when, but, when but Elijah Cook hands up <laughs> his hands, he's like, what the, he did this. And he's like, he turned me into a newt. He's like, oh, I got better. Yeah. There's no explanation of how this curse as a genetic deformity gets handed down from generation. It's been 110 years. Yeah, so, so you, you would think... That you, everybody would be, like, you'd walk in. It. It. Yeah, everybody yeah. would have it. But no, the vast majority of people actually don't have it. I know. Or it's it's so limited. Oh, I cursed you. You know what? You're only going to have nine toes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, that's <laughs> yes. really not much of a curse. You're going to have you a know? birthmark yeah. on your right buttock. <laughs> exactly. Kind of a lame curse. It is. I mean, I mean, I I shouldn't say that because some people had it really bad. Yeah, exactly. But but I mean, easy answer is like probably budget. Well, also imagine Charles Dexter Ward and Anne showing up to town right away, and they walk in the tavern, and they turn around, and they're like, "Holy moly! Like, (laughs) we need to leave now. The movie would end right there." I don't know. He seems seem pretty determined that these backwater hicks in their yeah. foggy town are yeah. going to keep him from, from the house that we inherited. Yeah. <laughs> but we're back to Anne. She's passed out. So Simon has carried her back to the bed. Yeah, they're falling through on one of Kerwin's, you know, side dishes where he's like, I want to resurrect my wife. First things first, though, is, is when Simon comes back and Kerwin goes, you know, oh, you know, what's going on with Anne? And Simon says, ah, I put her to bed. And Kerwin has this great line. Do you have it written down? Yes. He's like, stupid woman. She doesn't know what it is to love. I, True love means resurrecting she, your dead girlfriend. So she's stuck around many, many times. She's had outs. She could be back in Boston. 
she's staying here for Charles Dexter Ward. Yeah. And Kerwin has to say, you know, first of all, stupid woman, so yeah. rude. But yeah. she doesn't know what it is to love. A great line and just shows his complete detachment from anything that actually means love. And they try, and it's like the trifecta of the horror movie. She Fails. stands up as a mummy so you know it fails at the same time Anne screams and wakes herself up and then there's the howling of the wolf outside yes. <laughs> it's like they really overdid it we're trying to tell you this is a horrific Just moment layers yeah. layers we'll show sound. you yes. how scary this is gonna be <laughs> so and then Ward comes back and he's like man Anne I don't know what's going on around here We, I need to get away from here yeah. and she says yeah we're gonna get out of here tomorrow again you only live like three blocks from town I don't know why they didn't leave right then. Well, Kerwin constantly is taking over Ward's body now. Well, Simon's pretty helpful. Simon sort of like lamely delays them when they're trying to get out. Such a weak, sort of familiar, sort of helper. It just does it in the the annoying way (laughs) that keeps him. Because he's like, Anne, go wait for me in the carriage. You're that, right. They're about to leave. That's all. Yeah, they're out. He's got foot out the door, and Simon is just annoying him. Yeah. What do I do about expenses? It's like, what have you been doing for 110 years, <laughs> exactly. bro? You know, I think you can sort it out yourself. <laughs> and so Simon walks away, and that's all it takes because yeah. the portrait brings him back, and then he does the face. Yeah, and you know that Kerwin is now once Ker- again Kerwin back. So this always gets me with the wild stuff. Is yep. this at the bottom? <laughs> I like it. I'm like, I always like gobble that up. It reminds me of um, kombucha. <laughs> like, at the, like they always mention to like, you know, shake your bottle, move your, stir your bottle around. And at the end, it's just all of the stuff that basically contributes to the taste of everything like that. Mm-hmm. So we're, Anne's wandering. They've cast a spell. It doesn't work. Kerwin has taken over. Dr. Willett has come to warn them. as like, hey, there was some grave robbing going on. <laughs> and in fact, Kerwin's mistress... Hester, Hester Tillinghast. Oh, I, I thought it was Hester Bosom. Was taken. And they're like, whoa, well, you know who did that, right? I mean, now it's Kerwin who has taken over Ward's body. And he's like, you know who did that, right? It's the town people. They're trying to frame me. Come on, Dr. Willett. Snap out of it. And I have to say, that's pretty fair. That is. Because the townspeople are acting weird, crazy. They've been, they've been against this from the beginning. Dr. Willett notices these personality changes now. He even informs Anne, it's like, you you, sh- you should leave. Kerwin informs Simon and Jabez yeah. that he goes, I'm completely in control now. He says that so many times. Yeah. He's, he's like, Charles Jecter Ward is dead. He's dead. <laughs> and that's also another moment where Kerwin slash Ward yeah. tells Anne, you go. Take a hike. Anne proves that she does know how to love to a fault. She will not leave. And I'm like, nobody would blame you. And at the point, too, he forces a kiss on her. And he's like, surely a husband has certain rights. Yes. <laughs> yes. Back at the pub. And Whedon is up to some good old-fashioned rabble-rousing. He's walking around the pub. He's got his tankard. They're like, your ancestor murdered that guy. And he's like, I'm proud of that. And yeah. he's like, I might do something myself. And people are kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to murder anyone. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, come on, you guys. And he's like, just classic rabble-rousing. Yeah. Like, that's in another thing. Like, he's that guy. Guy. He's yes. like, and another thing. And then he's like, I'm going to go home. I'm drunk. Kerwin has been, time for me to do some revenging. <laughs> like, my business plan of absolute power is going to have to be set aside until I raise my girlfriend. Yeah, and Simon is like, dude, we got some business like, 200 feet below. Yeah. And Jabez is sort of silent at this yeah. point. He's just like, I just do what they tell me to do. Yeah. But Simon, you can kind of tell, is like, we, we have a Dude, job. We had a plan. Yeah. <laughs> we the, had this the business group. plan. Yeah. Here was our mission statement. <laughs> yes. The, the revenge plan was your plan. The team's plan <laughs> yeah. was to go out and, ah. Uh, so, There's so, no I in team, Kerwin. <laughs> exactly. But, and, and Kerwin's like, yeah, but there is a me in this Yeah, thing, exactly. So leave me alone. I, I was dead for 110 years while you were hanging out here not keeping my place clean. <laughs> Exactly. Simon. <laughs> and I know the liquor cabinet and the wine cellar had a lot more stuff in there. What have you been doing? Come on, man. This is nonsense. Whedon gets home. The door's been unlocked and his it yes. is running amok in the house. He knows it's around the house. Edgar does not make it. His curse 
has come back to kill him and his it and him end up in a wrestling match that ends in the hearth the fire of their house and just like Kerwin burned Edgar Whedon his ancestral line now burns her not only him but his descendant. I mean, I got to be honest. I think his line was ending there. I don't, I don't really think the thing in the attic was going to be reproducing. <laughs> you don't think he's like, who can we marry yes. it off to? <laughs> After they fall into the fire and they burn, we pan over yeah. and there's Kerwin sitting in a chair in front of the fireplace the whole time. Yeah. This guy's got some stones yeah. because he's a very limited warlock. I get every feeling if... Edgar Whedon walked into his home and found Kerwin sitting in his chair. He would have beat him up, killed him. Because I don't trust his warlocking skills yeah. to protect him. What I get a kick out of is he's sitting there and he holds up a list and it's got the names because he needs a list. Yeah. Like he can't, he doesn't remember who to go murder. Yeah. He's, he's got a list of names yeah. that he's with people he's going to yeah. kill and he doesn't just cross them off. He just. He tears. So essentially, he needs to go in that order. Because if he's tearing the names off and not just crossing them off, it's not It's not like if he walks out and he sees another guy, he's like, oh, I can't kill him. Yeah. He's like three down the list. I can't tear him away. And I wonder if they were trying to make, like, we couldn't use a pen. We'd have to use a quill pen for him to cross it out. It's not I mean, do you, easy. Do you have any idea? Like, do you have any ideas why they would have that, like, the specific tearing? I think they start off like, oh, we'll make a list so they could see the names. And they're like, wait a second, it's 1870. We don't have a ballpoint pen or a pencil to actually scrap. It's got to be a quill pen or something that, that's equivalent to our time period. So they're like, oh, we're just going to have to rip the, the names off then. <laughs> and then it just comes across really odd. Because you're right, he has to go in order. He totally does. It's not, he's like, like oh, we worked ourselves in the corner there, didn't we? Yeah. Like, like what a drag would be if he's like, he, he walks out of the house and he's like, ah, oh, there's Jason. But he's like, oh, he's number four, five. Four down the list. I, I got to wait. I got to kill those other three he's guys. Like, Hey Jason, I'll see you later. And, and like, if one of them was on vacation, yeah. it's, it's like, oh crap! He went to Ensmith. <laughs> exactly. Like, that guy went to ah man. So he works his way through that list. He burns a lot of people. Smith. That that one was pretty nasty yeah. because Smith is walked through with his webbed hands, walked yeah. through the omnipresent fog, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Kerwin throws like. I don't know, lamp, lamp, lamp oil? Whale oil? Yeah, something fun. It was a total huzzah moment, but like how terrifying. He like throws it on him and then tosses a match and he burns him alive. It's and like, because no one walks around the streets of Arkham. <laughs> like, no. Except Charles Dexter Ward exactly. and his, his wife. He could be easily burnt alive. He's relishing this. They're around the table, Simon Jabez and Kerwin. And Simon is like, dude, haven't you had enough? He is not down with the kill the entire village plank that Kerwin has put into their platform. Because that is, Kerwin is basically saying, they are all going to die the way I died. And I'm thinking Simon the whole time is like, wait a second, we keep getting losing focus here, Kerwin. Like, let's come back and have a strategic meeting about our plan here. But at the same time, here's the thing. His whole plan is bunk. Yeah. Because he cursed them. Yeah. So you're not going to have a lot of hot maidens around no. at this time. Because no. they all lack they all lack eyes. Yeah. They're deformed <laughs> in some way. So, I mean, in a way, it's like we got to kill the entire town. Then it repopulates itself with some hot maidens. Yeah. We're in the 200-year plan now. <laughs> it's, yeah. His, I mean, Kerwin's plan is terrible. And Simon is just trying to salvage something yeah. at this point. You can tell the wheels are off. And then he's like, you know what? I can't get Hester back. And so Kerwin's like, you know what I'm going to do? Let's get another shot again. I'm going to give in. So he goes yeah. up and tries to seduce her. And here's the sexiest line that yeah. I'll never use. <laughs> I'm simply exercising my husbandly prerogative. Is there anything so strange about that? He sort of tries to, basically tries to rape her. Fortunately, she's tougher than him. She, she scratches him. And he's like, you fool! And I do apologize. I've been doing sort of a lame Vincent Price throughout this, I know. And then Dr. Willett shows up at the house. Does he live next door? I mean, I mean he is just <laughs> popping in and out like crazy. And there's no way for them to communicate. Dr. Willop just shows up when he's needed. Of course, Kerwin's like, listen, I know what Anne's probably telling you, that I'm crazy. Yeah. To be clear, let's step aside in this room where she can still hear us. Men talk, Anne. And very loudly, she's nuts, dude. She needs to leave. Why don't you take her? And it's the final out. And Dr. Willett 
agrees to this. He's like, fine. I think he was on the side of Anne. I got to get her out of here. I don't think he fell for Kerwin's no. crap one bit. No. I think Dr. Willett was on the up and up. I agree. I think that he wanted to save someone and he now has a chance under this spell of Kerwin to actually get Anne out of the house. And then Willett and Anne, they're in that parlor. And this could have been the end of the movie because Anne is looking at the portrait and she's going to go destroy it. And for some reason, Willett is like, don't ruin that beautiful piece of art. So now they're going to attempt to raise Hester again. Jabez and Simon are just like, you know what? We're in this for the ride now. We're in this for the long haul. I mean, like, you can't stop now. We so. chose the wrong warlock to throw our, you know, our eggs in, in that basket. I will say, I, th- I think Simon is just happy that they're way, way down there yeah, exactly. by the pit. He's like, we're at least he, we're getting close to yes, Yogg-Sothoth. Yes, the pit is here. We're woof. Yeah. At least we're in the in the down yeah. down part, and it works this time. And all her bosomy goodness is raised from the grave. So Willet and Nan, they take the carriage three blocks into town. They come across the, the townsfolk, <laughs> and Smith is sitting there, and they burn, and the and the townsfolk are just like, "Oh my God!" And Ben West is all like, "You know, oh, let's yeah. we know who did this," yeah. and like, "Oh, Willet's like." Hey, we better go back up to the yeah. palace. Yeah. It's like, they turn around, they're gone. Why? <laughs> it means like, we got to warn him. It's like, why? Like, leave. No. This is... <laughs> I, I mean, no. And again, how freaking close are they? It looks like yeah. they're five miles away. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they're covering this so quickly. It's insane. And and Ben West, I, one, one of my favorites is when, it, when he's like gathering people and, he, and he's like, Let's be about it. Yeah. And it's like, basically, we're going to go burn this place down and lynch this guy. Let's be about it. I'm like, that's a great line. Makes no sense where Dr. Willett, like, they left. He realizes that Charles is unsavable at that point. But also, like, no, we're going to try to go back and save him. He's trying to save Anne. Doesn't go, I'm going to take you to the inn. I'm going to take you to the pub. So they keep an eye on her. stay here at the town. Yeah. Because, yeah. Find one of those, those... You know, well, he's a strong doctor. Yeah. You know, in a town full of mutants. <laughs> so they get back. They're ambushed by Kerwin, Simon, Jabez, and now Hester. Now there's a long explanation by Kerwin why he's doing everything as they walk down that very long staircase contraption in the bottom. They're just walking down as he's explaining everything because now, because Anne's back, they have a sacrifice. They are overtaken by Kerwin, Simon, Jabez, and Hester. And this is when Kerwin, like, as all good villains, he's like, I'm going to describe to you what we're doing here. As we walk down this long wooden staircase (laughs) that seems to go forever, you're like, okay, they're getting a lot of use out of that set. (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't do a deep dive into where that what that was made for because they love Corman loves it it's, like, it, Come it, on. It, it, it's, it's the thing you walk up to go on the water slide yes exactly it's, it's the stairs you walk up to go on the coolest water slide ever they're there and Kerwin describes how he moved the palace for the first time like you know stone by stone from it was Takamata's and the only thing I could think of was the history of the world part one and Mel Brooks movie was like, hey, Takamata, what do you say? <laughs> Takamata the Terrible. Yeah, exactly. You can't Takamata no. anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's brilliant. But now they have a sacrifice. So they put Anne up in the sacrificial altar. He's trying to raise that gate. 110 years ago, they stopped at just burning Kerwin. This time, they're like, we're going to run in and we're going to burn this place down. When they're getting ready, they're like checking everybody. They're like, hey, Joe, you got rope? And, and Joe's like, yeah, I got a bunch of rope. They're like, what about you, Bob? And Bob's like, yeah. And like, it was he, the mob checklist. Yes, it's exactly. like, rope, it's like, pitchforks, Jason, got you got, the you torches. Got a, Jason, you got a torch? And you're yeah. like, no, I got a pitchfork. And you're like, oh, dude, you were down for a torch. Yeah. They show up. Like, they do what their ancestors should have done. They just start burning stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, for a stone palace, that place goes up like a tinderbox. (laughs) I'm with you, but it was just nice to see the attempt. And one of the things they do, they burn the portrait. And this breaks a bond. Kerwin slash Ward is like knife to the heart, where he's like, "Ah, I'm losing control. And that's when Charles Dexter Ward comes back. He frees Anne. Simon and Jabez try to stop him. He tells Willett, you know, get Anne out of here. Get Anne out of here. And Willett suddenly is like, oh, I can be effective at things. 
and takes Anne and gets her out of there. And then Willet's like, you know, I gotta go save Ward. He's got savior complex. He does. I, I don't know why he constantly have to go. He has to think about Ward and saving him and everything like that. Yeah, I think he believes that that will end the cycle. I also wonder if it's kind of left over from the fact that you know it's supposed to be based on the story and the story. Doctor Willett, he goes above and beyond. He's like he wants yeah. to find out what happened to Charles Dexter Ward. What's wrong with him? I got to save him. I wonder if that's part of it. Definitely, it, it has to be a huge yeah. part of it. But what I like is when he goes back, the creature in the pit isn't there. Jabez, Simon, and Hester are gone. They were attacking Charles Dex Ward when we last saw them. Did the creature eat them? We're just going to be like, we're going to deal with that. Never. Yeah. The Haunted Palace Part 2. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So we're back out and Ben West is like, they're done for. (laughs) So Dr. Willick gets him up, gets him out of there. He brings her right to the burning tree. But what's great is that he just keeps running in and out of like way down into that place, yeah. grabbing people <laughs> left and right, just bringing them up, bringing them up, like getting them up those stairs. Yeah, it's exactly. not easy, man. <laughs> it's like, the guy like, had some good cardio shape. Oh, this guy, he's like doing ultra marathons before people were doing them. So he gets them up. Yes, and exactly, Jason takes him right to the burning tree and he's facing away from the camera. Dr. Willett's like... You know, are you okay? Anne says, thank you, Dr. Willett. And of course, Vincent Price's face turns and you realize, oh, Charles did not make it out of this. Kerwin did, which makes no sense to me. We book in with you. It's the last stanza of the Haunted Palace and it's the second line. So the final lines of the Haunted Palace poem. It's a bummer of an end. It is, but I like it because I, I mean, I sort of it's like It's a horror movie. You know, it's yes. not supposed to be like this happy-go-lucky, like, oh, we survived, Kerwin. Yeah, but, you know, you, you get horror movies where, you know, yeah. it's like good people, yeah. good people survive. And this one, the good, a good person didn't. No. And I, and I kind of like that it was a downer ending. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Michael, would you recommend this movie? I would. It's fun. It's Roger Corman, Vincent Price. It reminds me of, of some of the movies my mom, when, when we were kids, she'd make us watch them because she said, you can't just watch what came out now. You need to know what came out in the past, where this stuff came from. And Vincent Price was in a lot of those movies, and I love them. I'm a, I'm a Lovecraft fan. You're a Lovecraft fan. This is a fun movie. Would you recommend it? I would. The same reason. It's one of these AI, it's in the AIP, the Poe cycle. It has Vincent Price, it has Dipper Padgett, it has Lon Chaney Jr., it has Frank Maxwell as Dr. Willett, Leo Gordon, Elijah Couture. I mean, it has a great cast. It reminds me of Gothic literature, like the representation of Gothic literature. It has this atmospheric setting of a haunted palace in a blighted area with fog all around. It has a protagonist who's isolated alone and slowly being taken over by a, a evil ancestor. The emotions run high. I mean, Anne is constantly trying to win win Charles back over and she swoons a lot. It's had this heightened drama and it's like, is Anne going mad? Is Charles going mad? There's this ominous foreboding with this curse on this town and the town and the area around it's all in decay and there's a supernatural element with Lovecraft's Necronomicon. I mean, it's a great gothic piece. I could watch this. I, and I Like I mentioned to you, during the Halloween time, I'm going to get the kids around. We could watch this movie. It's very tame with the jump scares being like a boa constrictor trench and rat. Yogg-Sothoth, his representation. It, it, we, I'm not sure what the, if that was like a, a wax, like the toxic Avenger looking up through a grate. We, I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> we didn't really get into that, no. but it's just like this blurry green thing. That doesn't move. It's like, yeah, it's like <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, does it have four arms? Yeah. Does it have two arms? What's going on here? Yeah. Vincent Price. He adds a sense of class. When he's on the screen, when he's delivering lines, it's like, this is great old school horror movie acting. He rides that line going over the top and staying just right. He's fantastic. He does so much good acting in this. And I think that the townspeople 
would have enjoyed drinking. The, I think, you know, the Whe- Whedon and Edgar or Ezra Whedon would have enjoyed drinking. Absolutely. <laughs> the collaboration with Mickler and Anchorage Brewing Company, the AK Alive. This thing was, I thought this beer was great. It was. If I'm back at Andrew's Cheese Shop in Santa Monica, I, I would buy another one. Even though I'm always looking for something new, I would revisit this beer. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's bright, it's juicy. It's got some earthiness. It's, yeah, this is infinitely drinkable beer. If you've never had a wild ale, try it. Give it give it a try. You know, your farmhouses, your saisons, some of the things that are a little off your beaten path. You know, always, you know, I'm always about trying new things. It's Absolutely. fun. Give this beer and this movie a, a, a go and see what you think. Absolutely. <laughs> this is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited.